and welcome to Neurodivergent Moments. Hi, am I supposed to respond? <laughs> it's good to be here on my own podcast. <laughs> I'm yeah, so I was the... welcoming you. We've done it again. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was God. really worried that it wouldn't happen this week. Because when I, when I said hello, welcome to Neurodivergent Moments, as that I thought, oh, maybe I'm a little bit too slick, but... Um, you didn't let me down. Thank you. No, because I was like, maybe he's going to say his name. Nope. Nope. Um, People know who we are. If no, you don't, we have to. The, um, description. We ha- no, we have to introduce ourselves. It's very important okay. because no one would know how to say my name if they see it written down. <laughs> how do people say your name when they see it written down? Uh, I get Abigolia a lot. Abigolia Sh- Schumann. Shum- and it's, uh, I'm Abigolia Shaman, like what Michael Jackson used to say. Shaman. And, uh, yeah, I get that. But a lot of times, and I like it whenever I go into, like, the doctors or anywhere where they'll read your name out, I always just get them looking at a piece of paper and going, ah, and I go, that's me. That's me. I'm, <laughs> I'm ah. But, uh, but yeah. And uh, who are you? What's your name? Uh, my name is, is Joe Wells. And today, who did we have on the podcast, Joe Wells? We had Sarah Gibbs. Lovely woman. A humorist, writer. She has a great book out. Let's shout oh, that out. Oh, it's brilliant. It's really good. A great audio book read by Sarah herself as well. Yes. And as we're shouting her book out, I feel like we should tell everyone the title. And uh, do I remember it? Nah. Nah. <laughs> why would I do that? Why it's would called I Drama sh- Queen. That's it. Drama Queen. It's so good. And the audio is fabulous. So everyone should go check it out. And uh, yeah, we were talking about relationships. Yes, yeah, yeah. We we we're all in one. Yeah, I I I'm I was uh, I've been in my relationship since I was like a teenager, since we we're both teenagers. So I have I feel very lucky that I've never had to sort of navigate like adult dating as a neurodivergent person. I think I would struggle. I mean, it, it's 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 a whole world. Of course, I was going through it and didn't know I was neurodivergent. But once you're diagnosed, you look back on your dating life and you're like, oh, is that why so many people just ghosted me? Okay, interesting. Aww. But so you found uh, the one in the end. I found the one. Although <laughs> I like I. I I think it's great that you found the love of your life at 17. But at the same time, I feel sorry for you because you didn't go through a whole phase. <laughs> I don't think I would have. I don't think I had the capacity to do that, even if I were single. <laughs> oh, I went through a huge ho, ho phase, but uh, and I used to think it was um, uh, because I was the Samantha of my New York friend group, and I still am because I too moved to London and never talked to my New York friends again. <laughs> but. Um, uh, I always thought it was because I like claimed my sexuality, and now that I look back as diagnosed ADHD, I'm like, oh, maybe it's just because my body didn't produce enough dopamine, and I was like a thrill seeker. So just... <laughs> just a chemical imbalance. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to get a hit of dopamine, so I was like, I'll just, I'll just go out with loads of people and sleep with them. It'll be great. <laughs> but we were specifically talking about in this podcast that we uh, recorded months ago, and we both definitely remember everything we said in it. (laughs) Um, But specifically, like, long-term relationships. And what I find so interesting is Sara is autistic, and her partner has ADHD. You are autistic. Your partner has ADHD. 
and I have ADHD and my partner is autistic and he has ADHD because he likes to collect them all. But I find it interesting the way that neurotypical people seem to pair up with the different neurodivergencies. Yeah. Do you, do you think you could be in a relationship with a neurotypical person? I think I would find it very hard. I would like that we could leave the house on time. But apart from that, I think I would find it. I just don't think it would work. I mean, I've thought about it and I, you know, the all, everything that I think would be good about it is like functionality. So like, um, you know, there'd be someone who would be better at making sure the bills are paid and we'd leave the house on time. And like, so basically, I don't think I'd want a neurotypical partner. I just want a neurotypical servant. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like everything I think about it is always like a very practical look at what lacks in me and Tom's life. Like the house might be cleaner mm. and uh, certain admin things would be done a lot better and quicker. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't want to be like, I never date a neurotypical person because it feels like quite a negative thing to say about people. <laughs> but at the same time, they probably would just, never want to date someone like me so <laughs> fuck them yeah I yeah like... i never date a neurotypical person they're gross <laughs> they're gross with their khaki pants and their <laughs> spreadsheets Ugh. is that what they're like play. i don't know yeah they're cold play <laughs> i think well yeah that's what i'm guessing i'm gonna be like you know you become sort of more conservative as you get older i think that's gonna be me when i've got an old my child gets older and he brings home a neurotypical girl and that'd be an awkward thing around the dinner table like oh i don't know if my my child should be uh dating neurotypicals i'd love that i'd love to see that uh dinner where you just look over on our plate and you're like oh so you let all the food touch interesting <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean so you and your missus met when you were 17 so you met in school uh, college, yeah. So we what, were, I think we were 16 when we both met. What was then, the meet cute? Can you tell me how, how it all, how you guys came to be the power couple that you are today? Well, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, she and still is much more attractive than me. So <laughs> I think that there was an, she, for whatever reason, fancied me. I assumed that, I assumed that she didn't because she was, um, more attractive and of a sort of higher social status um so uh i i sort of naively thought that she was just one of my friends for a long time um but secretly liked her and um i remember we then this is um possibly a, a neurodivergent moment as well where we were in a shop once and she's asked something about whether i had a girlfriend or something like that and uh and I sort of answered it very matter-of-factly. And a guy standing behind us in the queue in a shop uh, said, you know that she really fancies you? <laughs> and I pointed out. And uh, and we both sort of felt very awkward. Tom and I have talked about that. Like, he looks back on his life and he's like, I think there were times when people really fancied me and I just missed it. I missed it because they didn't pick up on the social cues. And in my head, I'm like, used to fancy you? Like... Tom gets hit on when I am standing right next to him. <laughs> like, I am there, the girlfriend, and someone is making eyes at him. And he's like, does that happen? And I'm like, yeah, because he, he's just gotten on the Tiki Talks. And 
sometimes people will be like, oh, you're so beautiful or you have great bone structure because my boyfriend has a very – he looks like a vampire. And uh, <laughs> he has high cheekbones and pointy teeth. And uh, and I always am like, you tell them that you're mine. And he's like, people can just be nice to me. And I'm like, you don't you don't know how often you're getting hit on. Do <laughs> like he has no idea. We got off topic again, but you guys met in college, you said. And yeah. then she fancied the British you. College, which is like high school. Right. And she fancied you and you didn't get it at first. So what was it the guy in the uh, shop that you were like, oh, I better ask her out. Or when when did the actual like dating or romance happen? Like, how long did you guys know each other beforehand? Tell me. I want all the details. Um, quite a while. And I mean, this is this isn't uh, uh, the most romantic story. But she got very drunk and just, just sort of heavily came on to me at a party. Love it. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how it. I was like, oh, I think this person uh, likes me. And uh, so. Yeah, so that that was how it started, and we've sort of stuck together ever since. Yeah. I think we're much closer than sort of a lot of um, than a lot of couples. But like, yeah, we do. We are a couple who sort of spend a lot of time together. She tends to come with me to gigs and things like that. So it's um, yeah, we're very uh, uh, very very bonded. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things where you know, we both have had diagnosis in recent years, where you realise that's I felt like that's an element of of why we get on. Um, but yeah, like you said, our, our house is our house is messy. The sort of practical yeah. things that a neurotypical person could bring to a relationship, we don't have. Yeah, yeah. No, I just want I just want a neurotypical like I want a neurotypical housekeeper. That's what I want. I want someone to help yeah. me keep my house clean. Someone to help me manage my groceries. Someone to cook my. I, yeah, I just need staff. I need neurotypical staff. <laughs> like I a nineteen fifties housewife. If yeah, had that that would be yeah, yeah that would be that, fine. That'd be great. That'd be great. But uh, I'm happy to pay them a wage with all my uh, neurodivergent money uh, that that you make so much of. Um, But yeah, Tom and I met online the old-fashioned way. And uh, it was like right when I moved to London. And I had just moved into my flat I was living in at the time. And like literally unpacking and kind of nesting. And I had made this date with this guy who turned out to be Tom. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll cancel the date because I'm like kind of having a nice time, like figuring out where everything goes in my flat. And at the time he lived in Chiswick and I looked at my phone and I got a text message being like, I'm getting on the train now. I can't wait to meet you because we were going to go out for drinks in Camden. And like those in the dating world who've dated online know the whole hi i'm getting on the train now is code for do not fucking cancel now i'm about (laughs) to travel like do not call it off now so i was like oh i'll go out with him and he wore a suit he's always been a good dresser um and we went out to a uh bar in camden the dingwall and had a few drinks and um bumped nasties that night because you know (laughs) thrill seeker over here and uh, and yeah and then we kept dating and the whole time because he's quite or at the time he always felt quite reserved I just didn't I was like he hangs out with me but I don't know if he likes me all that much because he's not like an outwardly you know mm. emotional person and uh, so for the first like several months I was like well I'm having a really good time with this guy but we'll probably wind up breaking up 
and uh, and we didn't. And there was never any look that that would happen. And just eventually we then moved in with each other. And now, and, you know, we've lived happily-ish ever after. <laughs> yeah, I think it it is one that, like, I'm trying to, I feel like I want to, I always, to, to give all this advice. Because I think it, it is hard for particularly autistic people to sort of show how we, and how you feel about someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's is a is a tricky thing. I wish I had some sort of clear advice other than get with someone when you're sixteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't think. I mean, and I have a joke about this that I tell on stage. It's like I didn't think because we didn't know he was autistic uh, at the time. I didn't think it was anything with neurodivergency. I just thought he was English, and. <laughs> Because it was like, he was pretty much like, I dated like another guy for a little while when I first got here, but he was really the first English guy I dated. So I was like, oh, they're just all like this. Like, this is how they are. But I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of it, when it comes to dating, you just really have to be yourself, you know? So if you're not an outwardly emotional person, uh, especially when you first meet someone, there's no reason. I, I just don't think it's a good idea to like mask and pretend you are that, mm. especially if the person you're dating needs that. Like if you're not someone who can um, maintain that, like I think there's a lot of advice when it comes to dating where it just basically is like fake it, like neurotypical neurodivergent. It's a lot of like, you know, putting your best foot forward, but you're always putting what you think your best foot forward is, which is mm. what you want to present to the world, which is typically a lie. But you know, all those like sort of like, well, like you sort of pick up dating tips type things. Mm-hmm. They all like, because they, they never work, because they're all sort of like modeling yourself on someone who is naturally sort of very like suave and like flirtatious. Yeah. But if that's not you, if you pretend to be that, it just looks odd because you're not that's not who you are whereas if you are if you're a slightly awkward person be that awkward person and i think that that yeah. can come across yeah and i think there's a lot of talk too about like oh should you tell someone when you first start dating them that you're neurodivergent and i think the like actual disclosure is up to you personally the more i think about it like however like I don't know. I mean, none of us, me or you or our partners, knew we were neurodivergent when we got together, but it all makes sense now. And it's like, Mm. I don't think you necessarily always have to, like, put a label on it, like, on the first date being like, hi, I'm Abigail and I have ADHD and this is what it's like to have ADHD. (laughs) They're going to – they're just going to talk to you and get the vibe. Like, you don't Mm – but, yeah, I think – yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sh- show that you're neurodivergent rather than tell them. Yeah, that's yeah. The, uh, that's the, uh... yeah. Anyway, we should bring on Sarah. I think that's a great idea. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, here is Sarah Gibbs. Welcome, Sarah Gibbs. Thank you for coming on, on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Author of Drama Queen, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way. I, I'm I'm halfway through, and it is brilliant. It's it's properly funny, not just funny for a book. It is properly funny, and uh, there's I, I mean I have so much to say about it. But it's I'm one my 
big takeaway, which I found, I don't know if other people have said to you, this to you, but I feel like from it, you and I have had very different lives and in many ways are very, very different people. You might not like me for this, but I love horror films and I hate cats. Um, <laughs> but there is, <laughs> there is so much that I could relate to in it. And it, it, it's, it felt very surreal to have something that was so relatable from someone whose life is very, very different to mine. Is that something that people tell you a lot? Or? Yeah, it is. Um, but for the most part, I do. I have I've had the odd review where it's like, uh, I really enjoy this book, but it wasn't like me. So three stars. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> that's, that's not a legitimate reason to, to downgrade, to downgrade like I'm owed five stars and, and, uh, <laughs> and I was deducted points. But um, yeah, I do. I think I think it's weird when people say, how do you know if autism is this wide ranging thing? How do you know two different people are autistic? It's like, well, I guess because we both saved the best bite of the meal until last, like stuff like <laughs> that, that is so random random um and has nothing to do with anything but no matter how different our life experiences and interests are we we're sort of we're a template in a way that yeah that's a that's a really good description of it yeah and I think I think you're right and it's um that's the thing I'm always amazed by is how both how different and how similar um neurodivergent broadly and also autistic mm. experience can can be um yeah, we, we're talking about relationships this, this in this episode. Um, you're you are married. I am. I don't know why he married me, but he did, and he can't <laughs> take it back. Well, he can. But don't if you're listening. Don't don't divorce. <laughs> I mean, technically, you can't really take it back. You just go into a long, arduous uh, legal problem for a while, and then it doesn't exist anymore. But it's it's hard to take it back. Yeah, no takesies, backsies. Yeah. Like, can't cross your fingers behind your back while you're saying your vows. That's not a thing. Exactly. 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 How long have you guys been married for? Oh, God, nearly 10 years. Oh. Yeah. Congratulations. As I always say uh, on stage when I'm doing crowd work and someone's been married for that amount of time or longer, congratulations, you're almost done. That's my little crowd work thing. And people think it's organic and it's not. I've been saying it for eight years. But <laughs> um, cool. So may I ask, is your per- uh, partner also neurodivergent? He is. He um, and only recently discovered as well that he has ADHD, which makes so much sense. Uh, it's it's such a good combo, isn't it? It's like, it's like strawberries and cream or cookies and cream or like every anything in cream cream is great yeah <laughs> he's the cream he's the cream i uh i have adhd and my partner is autistic and has adhd because he's collecting them all and <laughs> and joe your partner has adhd with the, yeah well, with the other right? way around my, my, my wife has adhd and yeah so it's, it's, we do sort of find each other don't we and i think um and and you know and i think that yeah my, my wife has a she doesn't have an autism diagnosis but she has a lot of sort of um traits which sort of fall under the, the, that diagnosis as, as well so we definitely do do find each other and I think it does it does work although our house looks like shit but apart <laughs> from that it works very well yeah I mean I, I, I I'm not disparaging I'm, I'm gonna say my controversial thing I'm gonna say something controversial that's gonna get me cancelled um <laughs> no I mean like, I'm not disparaging autistic neurotypical relationships but what what do you talk about <laughs> 
what, what do you have to talk about I don't like I, I love my my non-autistic friends but when I talk to neurotypical people um you know about my interests or anything um they get really bored um <laughs> listening to me and they, you know they're kind of like oh you know you you've exhausted this topic can we move on it's like what do you mean move on I haven't emptied the bag onto the table and seen exactly what's in everything yet we we haven't explored this from every facet what how are you done with this um, so yeah what, what up are they to the third about? Beatles album yeah oh oh no you this this could very quickly become a podcast about the Beatles because that is my current <laughs> special interest <laughs> Well, I like because I was diagnosed uh, later as well. And it's fine, like looking back at my other relationships with people, uh, I, I'm starting to wonder if I've been in a relationship with anyone who was neurotypical that yeah. was like lasting. You know what I mean? Um, it's uh, there's something about I don't know what it is, but about neurodivergent people just finding each other and connecting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I mean, I'm sure there's couples who are neurotypical and neurodivergent, but I just I I don't know. I just how does that happen? Yeah, <laughs> it's a wavelength thing, isn't it? It's sort of. We're we're vibrating on different frequencies, so to speak, um, and it's I, I I I don't understand it either. But if you are in a relationship with a neurotypical person, um, I'm actually really curious. I'd love to hear from people like 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 this is a call in show. Um, phone in this podcast <laughs> and tell us are you in a relationship with a neurotypical person and how how does that work and um, and how have you not driven each other up the wall? Yeah, please write in, tweet us. <laughs> Uh, tweet us, Instagram us, whatever. Let us know. But that being said, Sarah, um, do you like when you're talking about being on a wavelength with your partner? How do you find being uh, autistic in ADHD? How do you feel like that connects you in a deeper way? That's Ooh. quite an intense question. <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I think it's just that we were both instantly okay with the other one being weird and mm. um and also understanding of the other one having quirks and needs that that aren't immediately sort of I, I guess explainable is that a word explicable explainable mm. um but you know we he immediately just sort of got that I had difficulties with certain things and my whole life everybody everybody has been like oh she's putting it on for attention she just doesn't want to do the dishes or the hoovering or whatever it is and he was like oh no she's um she's curled up in a ball under a table because the hoover's on so I'm guessing there's a there's a real problem here like this isn't like this isn't something that people just put on for fun and if, if she is then then she's very consistent you know um so he, he was the first person who I guess believed me um about everything um about everything that I couldn't do and just quietly even years before my diagnosis compensated for those things that I couldn't do um and and vice versa um you know I'm I'm very 
I, I'm I'm not very physical and I find it very difficult to I get drained doing stuff. I'm very, very mentally organized. So I'm, you know, I'm sort of the the general um and I, I give the orders and, and he's the dog's body and he he completes the orders and it, it, it works. Um I just realized I begged my husband not to divorce me at the beginning of this podcast and then called him a dog's body. Again, um, <laughs> if this comes up in the divorce papers, I'm uh, I'm gonna name this podcast. <laughs> We'll be be financially implicated yeah <laughs> so is that to say that you're organized is that what you mean like psychologically really organized like I know exactly what needs to happen and what you know when it needs to happen and when we're running out of stuff and and you know I'll, I'll be like um okay but I I get burned out after five minutes of screen time so I can't sit there ordering stuff we need all day and I can't just pop out to the shops for stuff so I'll send him unfortunately a lot of the time because he has ADHD I'll send him out for say toilet paper he'll come back with like you know six bags of cat food and like a lollipop or something it's like well this is lovely but it's not it's it's like another like, like, like I made a list for you he's like I I, I didn't look at your list I had no desire we to look at your list we don't have a cat yeah <laughs> this is this is dinner <laughs> uh now, now i'm wondering if your partner does a similar thing that i do uh so i'll i'm the one who pops to the shops in my relationship as well and uh because i've done that i always feel like i deserve a reward for it but i don't get like <laughs> chocolate and cookies i'll get like something i find interesting from the store so my partner will be like hey we're out of toilet paper and i'll come back and i'll be like i bought a pineapple <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, what about the toilet paper? I was like, I forgot. But now we have a pineapple. <laughs> it's not something you want to wipe with. No. It's very spiky. <laughs> but they're so exciting and fun to play with and cut up and eat. I just, I find them to be quite a rewarding thing whenever I do a task I don't want to. But that's usually like my thing whenever I go to the store, I'll be like, well, if I'm here and I don't want to be here, I deserve something nice. And so instead of getting what I'm supposed to, I'll wander around the store for a random treat that like, like, I'm just like, oh, well, that's, that's something new to experience. And I'll, and I'll get that instead. Like, sometimes I'll just get pasta in a shape I've never seen before. And again, he's like, but I thought, I thought we were out of like... I thought you were going to get a full dinner. And I'm like, we have olive oil. I'll do something with this. Like, it's fine. <laughs> but now we have penis-shaped pasta. Exactly. <laughs> they actually do have that. Um, I, 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 while doing research for a book, I don't even remember why I found this out, but I did find this out, that there is penis-shaped pasta. Um, I, I was Googling penis-shaped food for a, for a hen party. That was it. Um, and uh, not, I didn't just sit around Googling phallic foods for, for my own education. <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to explain away your search history. <laughs> yeah, really. It's research. Yeah. Like sitting there in the House of Commons. Have you seen the news today? <laughs> oh, all, yeah. They're all watching yeah, porn Googling, in the House of Commons. Yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was buying dinner. <laughs> it, is it penis shaped for the novelty? Like if you're going to have a hen do and you're making a bolognese, you can eat a penis shaped pasta? Or is there just a pasta that happens to be in the shape of a penis? Because I've got to find this the next time I go to the store to not buy something I'm supposed to. <laughs> oh, no, it's deliberately. I, I, it's like, it's, it's, there's, you know, it's, it's a cock and balls. It's the whole thing. It's, 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 it's a whole thing. Oh, that's 
So stupid. <laughs> I, I should have said this. I, I have had penis pasta in my life. Um, have you? I, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think we were 18. My wife went to... Um, uh, went to Paris and uh, we bought penis pasta and took it and made a meal for my friends with some like really nice wine that we bought and penis pasta. It's not very good quality <laughs> pasta. Um, I love that you went to Paris and you were like, <laughs> not only am I going to get the the uh, food that is not that this country is not famous for, but I'm also going <laughs> to get it in a very difficult shape. <laughs> we went to the uh, the erotic museum. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and that was in in the gift shop there. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not very good quality pasta. If you're looking for good pasta, uh, <laughs> just get get one of the the normal shapes. <laughs> I imagine sauce gets into it. We've we've spent we spent a long time talking about penis pasta. Yes, um, sorry, we're, we're talking about relationships. Relationships. Sorry. Um, this is this is why I found I had trouble finding one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Did. Uh, I was about to ask myself a question. I'm, I'm very what, tired. What was? Well, what was your question? You were going to ask yourself. Like, it, how, how did you meet your husband? I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah, we just go. You could do the yeah, podcast on your you own. You can do it yourself. <laughs> and by the way, it is a neurodivergent podcast, so there's nothing wrong with taking 25 minutes out of an hour podcast to talk about the shape of pasta. I'm just going to throw <laughs> that out there. The uh, themes are very loose. Yeah, but uh, but how did you meet your husband? Uh, I met him at uh, my first job, um, so that was uh, that was quite a disastrous experience. So um, they they did not like me very much there for for some reason. I think they so basically I I, I sort of like um, it was one of those very very sociable workplaces um, where it's it's uh, you know they they have mandatory social things after work and it's all about like fitting in and the culture and there's me sort of naively coming out of university like oh this seems fun um, and I think what got me was that they said they had a, a relaxation dome. And I was like, what is this? Like, that sounds amazing. Like Google or something. And I got there and it was just like, uh, like a, a large cupboard or like sort of spare office bit with a beanbag in it. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, I mean, this is nice, but like um, for a cat, but um, <laughs> it's not, not what I pictured. But, um, but the, the workplace itself, um, I was put in a team with like sort of a bunch of middle-aged men who liked football and beer and lad talk and I was the only woman in the team and I was the only young person on the team um and uh, and this is in a company where almost everyone else was was like a woman and then they they all got along really well and I was just sort of stuck with these with these lads having their banter and trying to join in and the way that I tried to join in was so awkward like um I, you know I thought maybe I can connect with people one-on-one and one guy was really into his football and he used to watch at lunch so I thought maybe I'll watch a game with him um so just sort of sat there talking over the football like oh he did a really good um ball kick there like he's gonna he's gonna score loads of baskets for the blue team and like I didn't know what I was talking about and you could you could just see him tensing up and when it came to my appraisal um they had something called like a peer review system where um, oh that sounds horrible oh it was was well, so a uh, colleague had to review you in no not sorry a colleague, go on not a colleague all of the <laughs> colleagues um, oh were are 
asked to give feedback anonymously about me. Um, and they were like, yeah, the unanimous feedback was actually really good at her job. We hate her. And it, I was basically in my three-month appraisal handed this, like, dossier of all my worst fears about myself, just, like, in a list. It was really, like, I'm laughing, but it was was literally the worst day of my life. Um, and um, And sort of in that time, I developed this friendship that was a burgeoning relationship with my now husband um who was in it on the on the same floor but we weren't in the same sort of department um and i you know i was told that um that my relationship with him would like would embarrass him at work and you know it's like um undermine him and stuff i was like oh have you had this conversation with him they're like no (laughs) okay so so just just the young woman then cool um wait but, I'm, I'm sorry back up for a second who was telling you that your relationship with him would embarrass and undermine him this is an a, a superior um who basically said you know he needs to be taken seriously here and like you, you this is this isn't gonna this ain't it basically um but i i very quickly left that job like um because you know when when you find when when you're given an, an, an anonymous list of reasons people hate you it it's like I, I know this sounds paranoid but you tend to look around and start thinking who, who said what <laughs> like specifically why do you hate me like I know you hate me because everyone answered this but which horrible thing did you say um there was one nice thing and that must have been my husband um, I was gonna say did you, did you tell who your <laughs> husband was because it's like she's lovely I really get on with her <laughs> She when she sends me to the shop, she she like she really gets pissy if I come back with penis shaped pasta. <laughs> um, but um, but you know I I left that job very quickly, but I sort of I kept him. Um, so it's not you know it's it's hard to regret it, even though it was it was a really horrible experience. Um, but that relationship was the thing that stuck from that. Um, so possibly the most autistic way to meet anyone ever. I've I. I'm so happy that you met your husband and and you got that one positive thing out of that. But that I have so many feelings about what you just said and and none of them are positive. Like, I'm just like, you could sue them. Have you thought about suing them? I'm American. We sue people all the time. I think that's a suable (laughs) offense. Um, You have no rights under two if you haven't worked there for, I think, uh, under a certain amount of time, I think two years, uh, unless they unless they get rid of you for a protected characteristic, which at the time we didn't know I was autistic. Yeah. um then you there's nothing you can do if you just they say it's like it was a cultural thing she didn't fit in and uh and that was that oh god i can't think who that would who that would work for having anonymous peer review of, we... of, of you as a person not of your work of like who's who's getting yeah who, who's doing well out of that yeah, it's... it was really personal. It was really like some of it was like, um, it, some of it was like, oh, yeah, she's really needy. It was like, like this is this is stuff for a therapist's office, not for like, yeah, uh, yes, I'm very needy. Um, can I just find out who said this, and we can have a long discussion about why you think I'm needy? Like, we just sit down. We can go somewhere very, very far away, just the two of us, and um, you can explain to me in detail why I'm needy, and then I'll have a lot of follow up questions. And like, I think that might be why they think I'm needy. <laughs> 
are, are you able to say what what what, what was the? Uh, I know you can't name the workplace. What was the sector? Was it was it what type of job was it? I don't even know if I can say that. Oh no, I, I, oh. no, I did. I did put it in my book. I did put it in my book, so I can't say that. It was recruitment. Mm. Oh, okay. I like it how we're both like, ah, oh, now it makes sense. It makes I'm just sense. remembering comedy gigs where you'll talk to someone in the audience and they're being recruitment and, and they, a lot of them are pricks, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I think experience. it is a prerequisite, isn't it? It's Apart like, from your husband. Well, it's just the bitterness. I mean, like, I, I spent, you know, six months of my life there writing job ads for better jobs and it does you curdle <laughs> you're just like this I, why am I making other people's dreams come true this what about me when's my time <laughs> yeah maybe that's what I always feel about careers advisors at school I never got on with them and I always felt like it was uh um oh this is what okay here's like a one of the worst things I ever did as a child um we had a and I really regret this now um like a a student drama group come in to do a play about careers and they gave out feedback forms and uh i on my feedback form wrote if they know so much about careers why don't they have a proper job (laughs) Um, i think i know that is a good line but also (laughs) five years at the end of a fringe that has come back to haunt me that review that i left (laughs) One day they're gonna find you. They're gonna they're gonna be like Joe Wells. Joe, <gasps> they're gonna come to your show and they are gonna pay that karma back. Like <laughs> I uh, I guarantee it. If you're listening out there, like do it. It'll be hilarious. <laughs> he can cope with it. He's a seasoned pro. He can he can cope with anything you throw throw at him. He's fine. Do it. And then Joe, you'll have another five minutes of material to tag on to it. See, that's yeah, the beauty yeah. of when everything goes wrong. <laughs> Yeah, great TikTok video. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, uh, Sarah, how, may I ask, how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was thirty, so it was just about uh, coming up to almost four years ago in May. And have you since uh, since your diagnosis, have you found your relationships change or the way you interact with people change now that you know what you know about yourself? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, I just don't, it's like sort of trying to stuff the genie back in the bottle, isn't it? You can't like, once you know who you are, that maintaining the mask is so, so difficult. And obviously in, in short term situations, you know, when I've got to be polite to somebody for some reason, um, you know, I, I can do it, but I, you know the I think what really hit home the other day was um how much I've stopped masking with people I'm close to was when I was uh with my family and I just in the middle of a conversation stood up and said I'm sorry I have to go home and think about why the Beatles broke up (laughs) (laughs) no excuse now I'm not feeling very well I've got work tomorrow like I'm I'm done with this and I want I, I want to think about the Beatles now goodbye and off I went and and that was fine and everyone was fine I think I'm a lot more appreciative in particular of my husband because I think before my diagnosis, I was like, ah, like everyone probably has a partner that does literally everything for them, like every practical thing for them. And then post-diagnosis, like, oh no, like this is like, this is care work. Like he's my carer. And that, that was hard in a way to sort of, you know, I guess it's a level of internalized ableism. Like society wants you to to be capable and to appear capable, and it's re- it was always so important to me to be seen as as capable and independent, even when that wasn't the reality behind the scenes. Um, and so it was really that was 
a really hard thing to get my head around but once I had it was like oh okay so that's the dynamic and like now I now the work is to stop constantly beating myself up over it because like it's not it's not a thing that I can help um or that you know or that I could change or you know that that like it's it's just something to to start to learn to to really accept that yeah I think like uh, uh, over the years there have been a lot of snide comments I think about my relationship with my husband you know like just little jibes about how much he does for me or you know that the fact that that I sort of you know I need things a certain way you know it's a lot of like oh poor John is sort of the chorus and like oh John's a saint and he really internalized that stuff and I think what the diagnosis has done is given me permission to to think those people are cunts good for you <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel, when you had the diagnosis, because I have felt that I was similar to you, well, it's complicated for me because I had like an informal diagnosis as a child, which um, my parents forgot to tell me about. And um, (laughs) then I had the formal diagnosis as an adult. Um, But when I had that sort of, you know, knowledge of it and could tell people, I found there were some people who I noticed treating me a lot better. And I sort of felt there was a bit of me that was annoyed about that because I felt like, you know, you should have just been nice to me when I, you should have been okay with me being a bit weird and awkward before. And I know that what's happened in their head is they've gone, oh, no, he's not weird, he's autistic, when in fact I'm both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't change it. Doesn't, I mean, I what I've noticed about my own friends is that the people who are really accepting and loving before my diagnosis are just more accepting and loving. Like, they, they just, and, and I don't mean like um, in, a, in terms of they're nicer to me, but they are like, ex- explicit about um hey i'd love to see you what's easiest for you um is it easier if i come to you how how would you like to do this um what kind of environment can you cope with um you know or like i'd really love you to come to this thing you don't have to come for very long you don't have to come at all if you don't want to but like uh you know i, I went to my friend's 30th for example um and you know it's quite busy environment and i was quite stressed and anxious and i arrived there and he gave me a big hug and he said you can stay as long as you want or a short that if you stay for five minutes that's fine if you stay all evening that's fine I'm just so happy that you came and I really appreciate it um and so but he was somebody who really understood who I was before my diagnosis and I think that that that's a really good indicator of like um you know what who should stay in your life is the people who accepted you before but when you were quote just weird Mm. It's such a liberating thing, that isn't it? When you realise that you can... I went to a wedding recently and realised that I could sit in the sort of side bit away from where everyone was shouting. Um, Mm. Like, fun wedding shouting, not bad shouting. But, um, yeah, that's just such such a... Before I would have been, oh, four hours of of trying to keep it together in a room where there's just constant noise. Um, And when you realise you don't have to do that and that you've got people who will be understanding about it, it's such a... Yeah, it's really life-changing. Yeah, I, I, the last wedding I went to, um, it was my best friend's wedding, um, and I, um, I booked a room at the hotel. Um, that I wasn't staying overnight. I just booked a room at the hotel. So um, while they were doing the superfluous socialising, I could go and nap. <laughs> 
Um, and I just left. Um, so like any unstructured social time, like, you know, the bit where they do the, the uh, where they're doing the photos and everyone else is having a drink and a chat. Oh, I, yeah. I just disappeared and had a nap then um, <laughs> got back up, got back dressed, like set an alarm for when the meal was starting, got back up, got back dressed, slipped back in. No one notices. No one's going, where's Sarah? You know, no, no one cares. Um, I think people, uh, I think people maybe um, neurotypical society is quite self absorbed and they think that everyone's watching them for you know like uh, or monitoring them in some way and no one i guarantee if you leave a wedding without saying goodbye to anyone like after the first dance you can go you you can just go and you don't have to say goodbye to anyone saying goodbye a bit like breaking up with a friend calls attention to it just walk off um just do just uh what what do they what do they call it it's um is it an irish goodbye that feels racist yeah that's what it's (laughs) called i uh i again 100 percent agree with you like whenever i leave a crowded space or like a party or anything like that i just walk out uh because the uh, oh, are you going? Don't go. Why are yeah. you going? It's like we haven't talked for the last two and a half hours. Like yeah. it doesn't. It's you didn't even know I was still here, <laughs> and so why why go through this whole like pantomime of like oh don't go oh when will I see you next? I'm like it doesn't matter. We can sort it out later. Just yeah. walk out the door. I'm already in my pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, a friend of mine had a, a wedding and uh it the the actual ceremony was like in a uh, it wasn't in a church but like it was in a building but the uh reception and everything was in a field and she said it was a festival uh the idea was like festival style you know so like we dressed up for the wedding and I stayed dressed up for the meal and, and it was camping as well. So you like me and my boyfriend got a glamp tent because I was like, let's just do this bougie. And we got a glamp tent and we stayed over. And uh, as soon as that meal was over, because she said it was like festival fun chic, I put on my unicorn onesie and wore it <laughs> for the rest of the festival. Like I wasn't going to be in like a tight like dressy Sunday dress outfit. No, I was in my onesie. And afterwards, everyone was like, I'm so surprised you put it on so early. And I was like, I I left it on until, you know, I wore regular clothes until 9 p.m. What more do you people want from me? You, <laughs> you said it was festival. You get to wear onesies at festivals. Why wouldn't I be in a onesie? That's All the cutoff. 9 p.m. is the cutoff. Everyone knows that 9 p.m. is the formal clothing cutoff, after which point, no matter where you are, you are allowed to wear some sort of lounge wear. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I always I have my pajamas packed in the car um, everywhere I go, and the second I'm out of it, anywhere, it's straight into my pajamas. There's a blanket, there's a cushion, the car becomes a bed, that's it, I'm out. Oh, I really like that idea. <laughs> I do that after, uh, like, I like getting dressed up for work, like going to perform. I like putting on lots of makeup and I like dressing up and all that. But as soon as I'm home, it all has to come off because there's something about, like, not being, not performing that that whole outfit, aesthetic, makeup just begins to feel really heavy, excuse mm. me, heavy. Like, I can, like... I'm not aware that I'm wearing makeup when I'm out 
at at work. But as soon as I'm not at work, I can like literally feel the foundation weighing on my face. And I'm like, I gotta, I can't, I can't, I gotta get it off. I gotta get it off. Totally relate. Yeah. That really had nothing to do with anything. I just had to share that. Because <laughs> I had my press photos taken yesterday and I've spent three hours putting on makeup and wore it for an hour and a half. <laughs> the, the, the definition of, of uh, performing womanhood, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wasting our time um, to... Uh, it is it's so much of womanhood is, is such a waste of time. But that's that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, but so... so um, how how did you know your husband was the one, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, one of the uh, notes I, I made, about, I was thinking about relationships, and one of the things which I'm so glad that I got in my long-term relationship young. We met when we were 17, and oh. um, uh, we, 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 so we've just stayed together, and I think I'd be so bad at trying to fight, to trying to flirt with people. And I, I was thinking about why it is, and I think it's because my you know that thing like in like a sort of um like an american like teen movie where like the nerd will try and talk to like the popular girl and he sort of can't get his words out and he sort of stumbles and and everything that's how i hold all human interaction like that (laughs) and i and it's given me like a like i one of the things i worry about is i worry a lot that people or that women think i'm flirting with them when i'm actually just trying to talk normally um because that that's how i i'm always sort of awkward and stumble go over my words it's probably even worse in america because it's the whole hugh grant effect over there where they're like oh charming british guy like stumbling <laughs> over his words oh i'm not charming charming no <laughs> i don't <laughs> think that people there. think i'm successfully flirting with them i think that they think i'm sort of badly flirting with them but yeah maybe i should go to america and i'd be very charming uh my uh my boyfriend uh, went out to a event last night and he was feeling kind of weird about going out. He was tired. You know, as we talk about like masking or being social, like sometimes when you have to go out and be social, you have to like gear up in your head for it. You're like, and he was like, I'm not, I'm not really in a place where I can just like turn it on and go out. But he did. And he wound up having a lovely time. I was very uh, proud of him. And he came home late and he was a little drunk and, uh, and he has that thing where uh, people would flirt with him and he never f- could figure it out. And now he kind of understands it and he can see it. So he came back. He's like, people kept hitting on me and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, did you tell him you have a fabulous girlfriend? And he goes, when? And I was like, <laughs> as soon as they asked for your number, that's what you say. <laughs> Uh, but- see, I, 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 um, I am flirting with everyone. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Um, and uh, and um, I mean, just because it's it's just how I interact. It's not it's not even awkwardness. I'm just um, I'm just hypersexualized, and I think everyone is <laughs> is awesome. Um, and um, and I, but I get my girlfriended a lot. Like you, you're absolutely oh, really? right. That is what people do. Like cause I, I'll just flirt because it's fun, not because I'm trying to make anything happen and um and i'll just be chatting to someone and they'll very conspicuously mention a girlfriend and i'm like oh no i've i've gone too far (laughs) somehow the line has been crossed i don't know where it was but it's definitely been crossed because the girlfriend has been mentioned and it completely devoid of context and and in a really pronounced way my 
girlfriend just to make sure i've had it. okay got it and you're like no 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 i don't want to i don't want to sleep with you i just want to sparkle at you like, yeah I this, i'm just sparkling exactly just admire me admire me i'm being effervescent and wonderful and um, this is how i get men to like me because i have issues okay just nothing to do with anything just yeah um i i i used i'm too tired i'm too tired to flirt now i'm too old and too tired um and and too and too honest i put a book out where i've just i've 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 been way too honest about myself and um and all intrigue is gone even the initial five minutes before they get to know me that that's but it's gone uh never again (laughs) um speaking of which uh just real quick to stand on your book um uh, for those of you, I'm, I'm just going to plug it right now in the middle of the podcast while I'm thinking about it. Uh, for those of you who sometimes have trouble sitting down and uh, reading the old-fashioned way, uh, it's an audiobook as well, and you're narrating it, aren't you? I am, yeah. I yeah. am very into it because I was like, oh, I'll listen to like the you know the uh, little bit that you can listen to on the Amazon. And as I was listening to it, I was like, I'm going to buy this. This is really engaging. You have a wonderful speaking voice. And it's just really, really nice to listen to you read your own work. I I bring it up because sometimes you click on the audio and you're like, I I can't, I can't buy this audio book, but I can buy yours. You're yeah, fabulous. So lovely of you to say, I I, I listened to an audio book recently where someone, um, it was a book I won't say which book because it's mean but it was a book that talked about finances a lot and talked had a lot of numbers and she couldn't say thousand it was thousand but she said thousand every three seconds and it was unlistenable because it just smacked me in the head and she didn't have a lisp on any other words I I know because I have a lisp and I know like I'm really self-conscious about it but like now I've pointed it out you're all going to notice it and it's going to really annoy you um but um (laughs) But just on that one word, it was thousand every single time. And I had to give up three quarters of the way through. Just I, I couldn't get to the end because I just kept yelling thousand thousand. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, again, that's uh, nothing to do with relationships. And yeah, I got but... a refund on an audiobook that was so badly read once. I got, and I will name it. It was the Sylvia Plath Diaries, obviously not read by the author. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was it was just a really, really bad recording and uh, and was really sort of cut up. So things would get and I I've s- sort of virtually sent it back and they gave me a refund. Sent it back. This book was really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have a proper ending as well. It's <laughs> Sylvia Plath was uh, one of my special interests uh, many years ago, and I read her. I read her diaries, and I read her letters home back to back. And I would say that I, I, I can't overstate the importance of having someone competent read them. Maybe we should start a petition. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. But going back to relationships, Sarah, how did you know that your husband was the one? <laughs> well. <laughs> um, Actually, um, there, there was a very specific moment um, where I um, I had this housemate who um, liked very much, very, very, very nice person. Um, however, they I'm, I'm not even going to use their pronouns to give them away, but they moved out. And on the day that they moved out, they the night before they'd had a curry 
and they'd had a bit of a dicky tummy in the morning and they moved out leaving the toilet let's just say less than savory conditions um and I walked in and was like oh no this is unusable what am I gonna do I I, I am ill-equipped for this situation John my husband now who I'd then been with for about three weeks um came in and he just said he, he just went Sarah stay out you don't need to see this <laughs> <laughs> And he went to the corner shop. He got a bottle of Drano and an extra strength lager. Um, don't know which one he drank or which one he put down the toilet. <laughs> but um, he was in there for like an hour just making retching noises. And every time I went to go and help him, I wasn't really going to help him. But every time I pretended I was going to go and help him, <laughs> um, he was like, no, 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 please stay stay out. I'm I'm dealing with it. Don't worry about it. And he cleaned that shit literally up. He cleaned it up for me. And I just... A little voice in my head went, marry him before he realizes. And and also that's something that my friends and family kept saying. Every time they met him, they're like, you need to lock that shit down before he gets to know you quickly now. Uh, So we got engaged after six months where I I very much engineered the whole thing. Uh, I I, I left a lot of hints and may have planned myself an elaborate proposal and then just sort of, um, he he really still believes it's his idea. Um, But that was the moment where I was like, this this man will get down on his knees and and clean up shit for you. I've yeah. never had a story that's so beautiful and so disgusting at the same time. <laughs> and if you're right, though, if you if in week three he will get down on his knees and clean up shit, getting down on your knees and putting a ring out there is easy. <laughs> like, oh, God bless. That's yeah, that's so sweet and gross. What a guy. Sums up our entire relationship: sweet and gross. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, Joe, do you have a story about how you, you knew your partner was the one? Uh, I do, although I do, I do remember a time when, when she was very drunk and I did clean up her sick. And um, I, I don't know whether that was her moment for me was when she and she was um, uh, sick on a, my copy of a very important feminist text. And I don't know whether <laughs> she was, uh, whether that was some sort of political statement or something like that. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I've, I've still got that uh, that very uh, mangy coffee. I don't know. Since both Tom and I got diagnosed pretty close together, and uh, I mean, you can hear the origin story of of my diagnosis in uh, Joe and I's first episode. For those of you who are listening and want to want to hear it, but long story short, uh, one thing that I really appreciated about knowing that he's autistic and I have ADHD is. It's kind of like I said, it puts everything in context. So now I understand certain things about him and certain things about me. And I I feel like I can let, let us both off the hook a little bit because I grew up in a, a fairly strict household. And I've tried to adhere to certain things in my life that are actually impossible for me to adhere to. And, uh, and now, especially with having ADHD, if there's days where I'm just having like a non-functioning day, I can just turn to my boyfriend and be like, you know, I said I was going to do all this today. And I said I was going to cook this elaborate meal for us, but I can't. We'll be ordering in. I'm going to be covered in a weighted blanket and watching Supernatural for the next nine hours. I'll try again tomorrow. Thank you. And he just gets it. Mm. And I just so appreciate being with someone who gets it. And now 
being able to like verbalize what's going on with me as opposed to just being like, what, why I had a plan. Why can't the plan happen? I need the, Oh, I'm just, I'm just in shutdown mode. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, my, my husband takes medication and when he has days off his medication, he, you know, he'll just say I'm, I'm having an off meds day and I'm all over the place. And then I know not to, like try try to not pile too much crap on him while he's you know um it's not it's, it's sometimes it's difficult because I still need to like eat um but um you know uh, any superfluous crap that I was planning to pile on him um just for fun um I, I you know I I get it it's it I think I think it's a it is a really complimentary combo and and you know it's, uh, I I think we are more likely to be patient and forgiving of each other's like foibles and and difficulties because we we know what it's like for other people to be impatient with us and it sucks. Mhm. Yeah, totally. You know there's so much of that like often I'm sure that you both get the same as that there you'll get asked at sort of um asked by people who work in teaching and stuff like that, you know, what's the thing that can what can be done to help neurodivergent people and like so much of it is just not having shame around being neurodivergent isn't it well that that's the sort of um that's the you know it, that's the treatment isn't it it's not being ashamed the shame only really serves to like to keep us in line um it's not for us um it's for everyone else like aba isn't for the autistic person mm. it's it's not to make the autistic person feel better in themselves or cope better with the world or whatever it is they think they're doing. It's, it's to make them perform coping, to make them perform functioning in a way that satisfies neurotypical people and, and reduces our quote unquote impact on people around us. And, um, you know, it means they, that we're less of a pain in the ass vocally, if we, they want to go and do their neurotypical shit, but, um, yeah, it's not, um, it's not fun for the for the autistic person being being um you know forced into into a role that doesn't that doesn't fit them as we're talking about kind of uh uh, uh making an environment uh more what's the word i'm trying to look for i guess palatable maybe i don't know accessible Joe? Accessible. Thank you. I was like, Joe, so, what I love about doing a podcast with Joe Wells is sometimes I'll say something and he'll be like, that's not actually the right words for that. And I'm like, thank you. Because I'm glad without, that you see my pedantry is useful. I do, because without you, I'm the one getting canceled on our podcast. <laughs> Would you like to teach the class, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> But, like, do you and your partner have ways of making things more accessible to each other and more comfortable in your own home? In, oh, in a- yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult because I my sensory sensitivities are, like, through the roof extreme. As in, like, I, I can barely have lights on. Um, like, there'll be tiny little lights. When you, people come in here and they're, like, into my home and, like, the windows are covered. It's like a, it's like a Jewish funeral. Like, everything's covered. I mean, a shiver house. So I don't know um, if, if you're familiar with, um, like, covering all the windows and, and, and glass and everything. But, um, you know, it's like a cave in here. People come in and they're like, I need a minute for my eyes to adjust. So, like, a lot of it is, you know... Um, finding the least noisy appliances and even finding times of day where like 
John doing the washing up or having the dishwasher on isn't going to like be stressful for me. Um, we have a, a system now, like when I'm in overload and I can't talk, but I, I, I need something like I need medical attention. He's, he's given me a doorbell button to press and he has the other end. He has the doorbell on him at all times. <laughs> I ring the doorbell and he like, so I, I don't have to look at my phone or come and find him if I'm feeling unwell and he will just come. Like if I ring this doorbell right now, he will be up here in five minutes. He'll be like running up the stairs and coming on my way. Everything's all right. <laughs> um, so we, we have systems in place. It, he um, Every time he, what's sweet about him being ADHD and, um, and, like having his special interest is every time he, he's he's really into tech um every time i have a problem he'll find a really convoluted solution with technology i'll be like you know uh i, I find it really hard to articulate sometimes what i want for dinner he's like well i'll have an app and we can like have all the meals <laughs> that you have on this app and then it's like I, I could just like think a little bit more <laughs> you know I imagine but like uh the wallace and gromit house is that's what i'm imagining it is. He is ingenious. And he has all these like <laughs> absolutely mad solutions for everything, and they're brilliant. Um, and I love him for it. But sometimes they're completely unnecessary and, and great. Like um, um, they cancelled my favorite TV show, Neighbors. It's like been my special interest my entire life. He is making. He's made an app to scrape the internet for all previous episodes of Neighbors to download them in order and like. Um, uh, so he's got this like this some random app sweeping the internet for for totally legal downloads of uh, of past episodes of Neighbours. So you're going to start again? I am. Um, there's 35 years of it, so I figure if I start from the beginning, I never I never saw the beginning. I came in about um, like early 2000s. So um, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to start from the beginning, and that should be some sort of a nicotine patch um, for for the soul. Oh, that's love right there. That's beautiful. And also, can I please have the app regarding meals? Because sometimes Tom doesn't know what to eat and I run out of ideas to cook. (laughs) So if you could hook me up with that, because Pinterest is getting a bit boring. (laughs) The answer is pancakes. It's always pancakes. Okay. I do know how to make pancakes. That's the safest food on the planet. I will die on this hill if you like. Anytime I've had food aversions or I haven't been able to eat anything else, pancakes. Done. Okay. I once went went six months eating pancakes for every meal, and um, and now I my eyes can't adjust to the dark, and I, <laughs> and I have no muscle tone. But pancakes are great. Okay, I'll mark that down in my book. Pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's like feels like a we always have like a nice takeaway point at the end, and that's today's is eat pancakes for every meal. <laughs> Yeah, that's my nutritional advice. Parents come to me. What do I do about my child's food aversions? Pancakes. There we go. <laughs> You're welcome. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much. I've loved it. Uh, Drama Queen is out, out now in paperback, hardback and audiobook. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. Uh, very, um, very clean white paperback cover. You can find it in uh, all good bookshops. And if they don't have it, order it and ask them why they don't have it. Um Email your MP. Uh, <laughs> and uh, how else can people find you? Do you have projects you're working on, social media, stuff like that, that you want to tell the lovely listeners about? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Rose underscore G. 
um mostly ranting about politics um so um you're either gonna uh, really enjoy that or immediately block me um and um i have a podcast that um hopefully is coming back for a second season and joe i'm gonna need to get you on that as well um it's called ought hour um it's um an hour-long podcast where i interview other autistic authors and it is the cleverest name I've ever, ever, ever come up with. I'm never doing any better. That's it. I'm retiring. Uh, uh, so, yeah, you can find that on um, on all podcast platforms. Season one has been out for a few months and season two hopefully should be coming soon um, now that I have finished some big deadlines. Yay. Awesome. Hey, Abigail, do you know about Podspike? Uh, yes, I do, in fact, because they are our sponsor for this episode. Our wonderful sponsors. Um, so I'm sure there are people who are po- budding podcasters or who have a special interest they want to make a podcast about. Here's a question. If you weren't, if this all falls apart, <laughs> what would you, what are your other podcast ideas? Well, I am an avid lover of peanut butter, so I would like to do a podcast someday where I try all the brands of peanut butter and discuss them like fine wines. The peanut butter podcast. The peanut butter podcast. That's actually really good. I know that that was a that was you saying that slightly as a silly joke, but I would listen listen to that. You could have guests on yeah. bringing their own favorite peanut butter. Uh, literally, as I said it, I was like, "Now I want to make that podcast." <laughs> what about you? If if uh, if you were to make another uh, podcast in your podcast roster, what would it be, Joe Wells? Mine would be about how to save money on train journeys in the UK. I'm becoming an expert in that, and I would teach the listeners about how to split train fares. It might be a little bit boring, but I'd make it fun. I'd okay, it'd be one of those things where people go, it "Sounds boring." The split your ticket podcast. But he makes it really entertaining. Hey, that's a podcast I'd listen to because that's a podcast I need. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to break through as a podcast. And that is where Podspike comes in. Yeah, so paying for PR for for a podcast can cost thousands of pounds. But what Podspike have done is they've made it really manageable so you can have access to bite-sized chunks of podcast promotion at an affordable monthly price. They've got us into Podbible, the Podbible magazine, uh, we're, we're featured on on their or we're due to be featured on their website. So if you're listening to this because you saw us on Pod Bible, that's how we did it. Podspike helped us out. Yeah, they're really great. Um, they've been fabulous for us to work with. And the most important thing you have to know about them is there's no fake followers, no complicated strategies, no minimum commitment. Um, it is there for you to use when you need it how you need it and it's a fabulous uh service they provide yeah you could you could just try it out for one month see how it goes and um and go from there yeah so give it a try you can check them out at their website podspike.com to see all of the publicity and help that they offer new and budding podcasts podspike podcast marketing made easy that was sarah gibbs Sarah Gibbs, absolute legend. I love how she brought her own questions for the podcast. <laughs> uh, 
it first of all was dead helpful and mostly made me realize I should maybe do some more thinking before we start recording. <laughs> we should do a lot more prep. Um, but luckily we've got people like Sarah Gibbs who know what we should have asked. Yeah. So they do it for us. But by all means, check out our book, Drama Queen. Uh, she has an audio book. You can buy the paperback if you're old fashioned. paperback now, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, please check that out wherever books are sold. She's very funny on Twitter as well. I always um, uh, like Sarah on Twitter. Yes, I follow her as well. Absolute legend. Um, yeah. So, hey, Joe, should we get to some neurodivergent moments? From... Yes, let's 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 do it. Do you have any yourself this week? Yes, I have a very good one. I'm very proud of this. And when I say proud <laughs> of this, I mean, oh, what a fuck up. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. So as we all know, we are doing our uh, Edinburgh shows coming up. And uh, I've been going back and forth with my uh, the guy who's designed my posters. And we found uh, the poster we like. And I was like, yep, that's it. Let's sign off on it. And uh, we sent it to my producer, and my producer was like, that's great. And then two weeks later, he messages both me and my designer back and goes, uh, you need to fix her name. It's spelled wrong. <laughs> I didn't even notice my own name is spelled wrong on my poster until <laughs> my producer was like, you need to fix this. And God bless my producers. Like, so what I've had to do is recall this, this, and this. And he goes, however, some of your posters are just going to have your name spelled wrong on them. <laughs> He's oh like, I can't get them all back at this point. Like it's too late. <laughs> They've gone to print. Oh no. How badly is it spelled? It's, I mean, it's because, so my last name is S-C-H-A-M-A-U-N. So the U's in the wrong place. So like, it's not. Shamuan. <laughs> exactly. <Okay>. Shamuan. <laughs> um, but I mean, what's also ironic is I had a show one year called Abigail Shaman. It's pronounced Abigail Shaman. And my designer, his name's Paul, him and I talked about how I would get reviews on that show and people would spell my name differently in the title and then in the article and then and how ridiculous it is that people spell my name wrong so much, especially on that show where my name is in the title twice. And then we spelled my name wrong on the poster and neither of us saw it. <laughs> you can never complain when people get your name wrong now. This is why I need a neurotypical, like, service, assistant, <laughs> assistant yeah. housewife, something. I need someone to check these details. <laughs> is my bathroom clean and can I spell my name? These are the things I need help with. What about you? Do you have a neurotypical moment? Uh, a neurodivergent moment. Sorry. a neuro. That's another one right there for me. Another neurodivergent moment. I, I do have one, and it's okay. like this is such like a small victory thing. But I find, as I've been on holiday in Portugal, which was lovely, um, but I find lots about holidays very, very stressful. And um, this is when I tell you this, you need to clap me afterwards because it's a big achievement for me. Okay. I, one of the things I find um, hard is uh, if there's like a language barrier, I find that really, really difficult because when two people speak, um, different languages they they rely on like non-verbal cues and gestures and things like that you need to be able to see the context of those gestures to know what things they're talking about um so i usually uh my wife is is the um 
uh, person who does all the ordering and you know all the shopping and things like that when we're in a country where there might be a language barrier um, but I went on my own and bought two croissants uh, one of which had cheese in and a coffee uh, and brought them back to the hotel because my wife was being tired and I did it all and I understood what was said and there was a question with a, a gesture and uh, I, I sort of decoded what they meant with the gesture they were saying I had to hold my hand on the bottom of the croissant box and uh, brought the back all on my own. I'm very proud of myself. You can clap now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am so proud of you, Joelle. That's not easy. That's not yes. easy. <laughs> I appreciate how difficult that is. Uh, congratulations, man. You, you ordered pastry. Yeah. And you got, uh, naturally, you get a reward for it as well. I've got lovely croissants. Exactly. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Uh, hey, shall we read some neurodivergent moments sent in by our lovely listeners? Yes. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah. So uh, this one uh, is says, Hi, this is Stacy from New Zealand. You can share that. Thank you, Stacy. And I can't believe you're listening all the way from New Zealand. It's literally the other side of the world. So she says, I'm a late diagnosed autistic woman and my most memorable neurodivergent moment is when I was in my mid-30s and I realized that neurotypical people need conversational foreplay to ease them into a conversation. You can't just go, hi, blah, 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 straight into a subject, but you have to put meaningless, I love this so much, meaningless small talk into introduce the whole we're having a conversation now concept changed my life <laughs> oh god bless you stacy yes that is indeed a life changer that is something that tom and i talk about a lot it's just small talk unnecessary but you do yeah how are you i'm good <laughs> good this is nice uh, out isn't it it's nice yeah it's nice yeah. i love them maybe it's because they're like us but i love people that will just jump in with the the, the big stuff. My, my father-in-law is, is like that. Um, I think he may be one of us. He, uh, but a few years ago, we went to his house and he opened the door. And most people, when they open the door, they would say, hello, or how mm-hmm. are you? He opened the door and said, did you know there's no such thing as truth? <laughs> <laughs> what, I would what love that. <laughs> and, I, and I said... That is fucking deep, man. <laughs> You're like, I've just come by for lunch. <laughs> well, I said, "Is that true?" And he said, "Yes." <laughs> I thought, "Well, there is, isn't there?" But it was a good opener. That's amazing! <laughs> oh my god, I love that. And Stacy, congratulations on uh, figuring out that neurotypical people need, as you say, conversational foreplay. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I just hope you use that uh, foreplay that I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that you don't love doing uh, when necessary. But I hope to your friends and loved ones, you're still just going, hi, did you know there's no such thing as truth? I hope you're still being you. Yeah, I think at least once a week, you've got to, you've got to go over a bold opener in a conversation and just yeah. say, say something deeply philosophical as an opener. Yeah. What a what neurodivergent moment do you have for us, uh, Joe, from our lovely uh, listeners? This is from Barbara, living in London. Um, she says nice things about the podcast, but we won't read them out because we're very modest. Oh, don't um, worry, I'm American. I can read those ones out. <laughs> she says, uh, thanks for making the podcast. I love it so much. I've only oh. recently been diagnosed with autism and learning a lot right now. 
my most autistic moment of last week was when I like most autistic. There were many last week, but this is the most. It was when a colleague and I were talking about a business trip that I could either do on my own next week or together with him the week after when he's back from vacation. He tried to convey to me that he wouldn't take it personally if I wanted to go next week. And instead of nodding politely, I said, no worries. I don't care about hurting your feelings anyway. I... I'm glad I'm out as autistic at work, if that's the correct term. Basically, I'm open about it so people don't think that I'm an asshole when I don't attend socials. Thanks for the podcast. Thank you, Barbara. That is lovely. Oh, that's wonderful. She doesn't care about hurting his feelings. <laughs> and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. He's a colleague. He can freaking handle <laughs> it. Oh, God bless you, Barbara. Uh, I love that. Tom, sometimes I'll come home from a weekend. And I'll be like, you know, doing gigs and I'll come home and I'll be like, hey, Tom, how were you? I miss you. And he's like, I was, I'm great. It was really nice not to have you around. <laughs> Just got to be by myself for a bit. It's really nice. <laughs> Thanks. I miss you too. <laughs> I've just been in sad hotels eating pot noodles for three days, but that's good. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. Good for you, Barbara. And uh, to all of our listeners out there, hey, if you have a neurodivergent moment that you'd like to send us, um, please do. You can email us at neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail.com. And, you know, while you're uh, doing a bit on your computer, why not uh, go in and give us a five-star review and maybe share the podcast with a friend or a family member because it's just uh, little Joe and I over here doing doing this ourselves, which basically means that Joe does all of the editing and then messages me and asks if I've made any of the socials and I have <laughs> to say I've forgotten again. And so we'd really help, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you uh, help spread the word and help this get out to more people. We keep, we're pushing into the bottom of the charts each, each episode, aren't we? We're just sort of like getting there a bit and the things that reviews really help with the uh, mysterious apple algorithm and getting new listeners in they help so um yes please please do that yeah if share the podcast it, any way you can it's really helpful and just thanks for being here and listening and uh joining us in these conversations we really appreciate you and i really appreciate sorry you go ahead no, no, I, I was just going to say how, how lovely it is to have, yeah, that we've had, I've had people come up to me at shows that have been listening to the podcast. It feels like we've got a nice base of, of listeners who are all our, our people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, people always say Twitter's a horrible void and a cesspit, but it seems to be the place where uh, you guys reach out to us and me the most. And I've just, you've really made my Twitter uh, 10 times better. So thank you so much for... Uh, <laughs> Um, being here with us and yeah Uh, but right now my Twitter's just full of uh, comedians angry that there will be no Ed Fringe app which uh, (laughs) speaking of Ed Fringe are you going to be at Ed Fringe? I am I'm going to be there at midday every day at the Banshee Labyrinth doing my new show which is called I Am Autistic are you going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe? I will I will be on at 6.20 at the Tron every day except Mondays little old self care over here not doing Mondays this year uh, but 6.20 at the Tron with my show Legally Cheeky so um, yeah check that out and uh, guys thanks for listening oh we're going to be at the Latitude. Yes, we're going to be at Latitude. We should tell people about that. 
towards the end of July, Latitude Festival, we're going to be there doing yeah. a live recording. Yeah, because this comes out what this Friday, and yeah, so on on Saturday the twenty third, we will be at Latitude doing a live podcast. So if you're a listener, you're going to be at Latitude. Come and join us. We're going to ask for neurodivergent moments from the audience. Uh, which I think is a great idea because I think our ADHD listeners keep forgetting to write in. And so I feel like we might hear from the them pressure in person. There and then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, our autistic listeners will probably not volunteer to speak, but we'll do our best. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, check us out there if you're going to be there. We don't know what time we're on yet, but this is going to No, we real... don't know. Yeah, but we, will, we'll be, we know we're on on the Saturday. Yeah. This has gotten real rambly again, hasn't it? We should stop. Yeah, it has. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening.